Good morning, my friend. How are you today? I hope that you are excited about a beautiful Wednesday. It is the 26th day of July of this year of our Lord, 2023. We are into the second week of the Life of Hope is the First Dose, my new book, A Treatment Plan for Recovering from Trauma, Tragedy, and Other Massive Things. Today is Wild Card Wednesday on the podcast. We sometimes just, I wake up with something crazy on my mind or there's been something that I've been chewing on for a while. It doesn't necessarily fall into a series or a plan. And today I've got a jumbled up mess of thoughts that I want to share with you. And whatever you're doing today, if you're driving or working out or studying or writing or whatever you're doing, I want you to think about a few things. And the theme of this podcast is going to be the learning to understand that you're not always in a fight. You're not always at war. You're not always in a battle. Unfortunately, sometimes our lives put us into this mode of acting like we're always stressed out. It's a common problem in people who have experienced major trauma and this PTSD notion, which now we think of as a syndrome, a cluster of symptoms rather than a disorder, because it's not something wrong with you. It's something that happened to you and that has produced a certain set of behaviors. So trauma can put us in this mode where we've been through so much Stress that we think we're still in it and our bodies act like they're still in it. And the problem with that is you can't live in a fight state all the time or you'll deplete all your energy and all your resources and your life will become this big revolving circle around the massive thing. And we talked about that with my patient Anthony. You couldn't close his eye and this idea that you can have your massive thing turn into the thing that you can see. And if you don't learn how to close your eye and look away and, and rest and think about something else and learn to get your brain under control, that this will become the defining thing of your life. And friend, because you're listening to me, I know that means that you've been through something hard or you love someone who's going through something hard and you're trying to process all these things. And I just want to give you this, this little bit of encouragement today. You are made for not just war, but also for rest. You are made to learn that there's not always a fight to be fought. And sometimes you need to let other people fight those battles for you. Today we're going to unwind some of those ideas. We're going to talk about war. We're going to talk about fight. We're going to talk about the reason Jesus came to the earth. We're going to talk about what I call trauma mode and rest mode and how not to get worn out. We're going to have a song by Alyssa Turner who's on the Hope is the First Dose playlist, a song called My Prayer for You. And it's just going to be a little short thought. i got two scriptures, maybe three. I might throw a bonus scripture in there for you. And just as a reminder, the pre-order period has passed. If you go to my website now, there's no longer that button. I'm getting emails from people that say, hey, I tried to upload my receipt. Button's already gone. I told you that campaign is going through the 25th. That was yesterday. But if you did pre-order the book and you didn't get around to getting your pre-order bonuses, just send me an email, lee at drleewarren.com, and I'll send you an email back with a link to all of them. There's a lock screen for your phone, so you can have some encouraging message about hope on your screen of your phone or computer. There is a bookmark that you can print and use to hold your place when you're reading Hope is the First Dose. There is a three-chapter sample PDF that you can share with somebody else that might need a little hope or that somebody might want to read a little bit before they decide if they're going to buy the book or not and then there's a playlist the hope is the first dose playlist on spotify that's public now you can search for it on spotify if you're using that hope is the first dose you'll see the book cover there's uh, i think 42 songs or something two and a half hours of music that we put together there and so you can get all that stuff and i'll send you all of it if you just send me an email lee at drleewarren.com even if you didn't pre-order and you think those would benefit you let me know and we'll get you that information 
I'm just sitting here this morning. It's, what is it, 5 o'clock. did a big day of surgery yesterday. My body's telling me I have been the recipient of a good night's sleep, but I worked really hard yesterday, and I'm sure Damon and the rest of our team are tired. And and it's just a, a good morning to sit and have a cup of coffee with my friend and talk a little bit about rest and fight and when it's time to remember that you're not always in a fight. And sometimes it's time to rest. We're going to talk about all those things because, friend, if you're tired and you're worn out and you're wondering why life always seems to be so hard and you just aren't making progress towards hope, then you need to change your mind. And we're going to do a little self-brain surgery this morning because you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. All right, let's get after it. So on my desk right now, I've got two advanced copy books. The advanced copies are these paperback books that publishers send out um, to PR people, media people, influencers, if you will. And I have a copy of two books on my desk that I received from publishers of guests that are going to be on the podcast soon. This one is a book called Mind Shift from Erwin Raphael McManus. Erwin McManus has been on my radar for a long time to be on my podcast because he's written some really transformative books. The one that I like the most is called The Genius of Jesus. I talked about it last year a lot. And I reached out to his publisher back then, and he was not doing interviews, and he wasn't available. And then I got an email from him a few weeks ago that said, hey, we've got a time in October. If you want to have Erwin on to talk about his new book, we'll send you a copy. And also you could you know, have that conversation you wanted to have about genius. And so we're going to do that. <laughs> He's coming up in August, and it's going to be a great talk. But I was blown away by this idea. So God's up to something because all these people I respect – and my work has been pushed into this mode right now of thinking about our brains and how our brains create limitations and they also create opportunities and thinking about how our thinking changes the way we live. And lo and behold, Irwin's new book is called Mind Shift. And it's it doesn't take a genius to think like one, learn how to think differently, you change your life, right? And when I opened up his book, right here on the front, if you see on the video, maybe you can read this. Let me see. Can you read that? It says, if you're not listening to the video, if you're not watching the video, you wonder what I'm doing. I was holding up the book to the camera. It says, in the front, there's just this little inscription, okay? And he says, the intention of this book is to destroy your internal limitations. Erwin McManus. 
Now, that's a pretty simple little declaration of what a book's about. I'm going to learn something from him. The intention of this book is to destroy your internal limitations. Friend, that's what we're going to do on the podcast today. We're going to change your mind about something. I got another book here, The Evangelical Imagination, How Stories, Images, and Metaphors Created a Culture in Crisis. This is the new book that's coming out in August from my friend Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen's been on the show before, and she's an amazing person. She's done a lot of books. She she writes study guides for classic books and has published a number of them, Frankenstein, Pride and Prejudice, a bunch of them, and kind of helps people understand what great literature is. Her first book was called On Reading Well, and it's about how to use reading to find faith, and it's really amazing. She was on the show once before. She's also a noted pro-life advocate. She's been arrested multiple times for protests related to abortion, anti-abortion activities, and really puts her faith where her, her mouth is and has put it on the line. And in fact, is such a leader in the pro-life space that when Roe versus Wade was overturned, New York Times reached out to Karen to be the person to give that opinion, the, the pro-life version of the opinion, like, hey, what does it look like from your side of this? And she wrote an amazing article that led to her getting a ton of terrible attacks and personal hate mail and all kinds of things. So she's got a voice that I respect, and she's writing a book about the troubles of the evangelical church right now. And there are a lot of trouble, and there's there's a lot of people writing about that and thinking about it. So we're gonna we're gonna learn from her some of the issues that we need to be thinking about. And I'll have some questions for her. I've I've read her book. It's incredible. I've got some questions and some different thoughts, and we'll have a wonderful conversation. And one thing I love about Karen is, like we all ought to be right now, she's willing to look at both sides of a question. And right now, so much of our culture is saying there's only one right and my truth, and you got to listen to me, and you have to respect me, and they're shouting each other down, and nobody's having a conversation anymore. And so... This show is always going to be a place where you can have a real conversation. And I'll bring you some edgy things, some controversial things perhaps, but we're going to talk about the truth and the, and the alternative ways to think about things. So you can find the path to truth by understanding everything that's going on on both sides of an issue and really make a, make a difference in how you think. So Karen's coming up soon. And I'm just really honored that I'm at this place now where we're getting to bring you stuff early. Like I used to, the mode used to be, I would find a book that I really liked and I would pester the person until they finally agreed to be on my show. (laughs) Now they're coming to me. So that's something. And I'm glad that I get to bring you these ideas. So today we're going to get into that Erwin McManus idea of I have an intention. I have an aim and a purpose today. And I want to change your mind about something that I think will make a big difference in your life. I'm going to start with a personal story. Okay. As you know, if you've been listening to me very long, and I'm going to drink coffee while we're talking about this because it's going to get personal and I need to wake up a little bit. But as you know, I spent half of 2005 in the Iraq War in a tent hospital at a place called Balad Air Base. And back then they called it Mortaritaville because it was getting mortared or rocketed basically every day for the time period that I was there. It was the most attacked U.S. base in the war, including Iraq or Afghanistan. It was frequently bombed. There were people killed at the at the PX, the little on-base Walmart convenience store, by a mortar attack shortly before I got there. Some people had been standing around by the flagpole and a mortar landed and several people died. And so it was real. The threat was real of getting blown up or hurt. And then on top of that, we were taking care of trauma patients from car bombings and combat 
in roadside bombs every day. And so while I was there, I did 200 operations, over 200 operations and 100 more, survived 100 mortar attacks and all that stuff. And so what happens to you when you live in an environment like that where the threat of getting hurt or being in danger and the threat of having to jump up and take care of some emergency situation is literally 24-7. I mean, there are only two of us neurosurgeons working and a whole team of surgeons and specialists and nurses and critical care doctors and infectious disease doctors and social workers and rehab people and therapists and nutritionists. We had the entire staff to be able to run a critical care hospital there with us, some Australians and, and Americans working together. And it was amazing. But but when you work in that environment where you're literally in peril or under stress 24-7, it changes something in your brain. And your brain goes through this shift and you start to believe that every moment is dangerous or every moment you need to be available to go from zero to 100 exactly in that time and be ready to go. And something happened when I got home. Of course, if you've read my book, No Place to Hide, that's over my left shoulder here. I told the story of how I my deployment was right before I was supposed to get out of the Air Force. So I literally got home from the war went through out processing and six weeks later I was in private practice in Alabama. So I went from Texas where I knew everybody to Alabama where I knew nobody. I went through a divorce. I was alone. I was by myself. It was pre-Lisa and I didn't have a support system and I was by myself and I was in a new practice and it was basically the day after I got out of combat, I was doing civilian surgery. It was a few weeks, but it felt like the day after. And something happened a senior older surgeon observed how I was behaving and pulled me aside one day and said, hey, you got to slow down a little bit. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're a great surgeon. That's that's clear. It's plain. It's obvious that you're a really good surgeon, but you're wearing your team out because you're running through your cases so quickly that the, these people don't know what you've been through and they don't understand why everything has to be so urgent. And I had to think about that for a while, and it took me years really to kind of unpeel some of that. But what was happening, especially after Nate came, so my scrub tech in Iraq a few years later came and joined me in my practice in Alabama. Lisa and I had gotten married by then. We moved from Montgomery. I moved from Montgomery to Auburn, and we started our own practice. And Nate came calling on me one day and said, hey, I would really like to come work for you. I'm out of the Air Force now. And I had told him in Iraq he was so good. I had told him, hey, if you ever need a job, come and see me. And he did. He ended up marrying our daughter, and he's now the father of our first two grandchildren. But so Nate and I were in that mode together because we had been in war. And so what we did is we continued to operate at the pace like we were in war without even thinking of it. And it took me a while to understand that older surgeon's advice, but here's what that means. When we were in Iraq and we had a case that normally would take an hour, we might be in the middle of that case and another car bomb might go off and there might be another 20 patients in the ER and one of those people might only have 20 or 30 minutes to live. And so if I'm in the middle of a case that's going to take me an hour or two and somebody else only has 20 minutes, that guy's going to die if I don't get that case done. So you, you develop this ability and Pete Leonardson and I, the 
my partner who was in Iraq when I first got there is now my good friend. I send patients to now in Colorado. He's a complex spine surgeon in Denver. And Pete and I, Pete, Pete kind of first told me, like, you've got to be able to get this case done in half as much time as somebody else because somebody else might come in and need you, and you don't have time to be slow. Like, you've got to get it out, get done, but you also have to be really good. Like, you, you can't be slow, and you can't be bad. you got to be fast and really good in order to, to be a good combat surgeon. Pete gave me that understanding, then he went back to the States a couple of weeks after I got there. And when I got home, I, I didn't know how to turn that switch back off. And so what would happen was we would do a, a case, like a microdiscectomy in the lumbar spine for somebody's sciatic pain, and I would treat that case subconsciously without even being aware of it like I needed to get it done because somebody might be dying in the next room. And I would whip my team into go, 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 go. And in between surgeries, it was let's go, let's move this stretcher, let's clean this room, let's get after it. And we would knock out seven or eight cases and be done at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. But what was happening is all the team members were getting worn out and they were getting stressed out because I was operating under this, this paradigm that I was still at war. And it's not bad to go fast, and it's not bad to be really good, and it's not bad to have high standards, and it's not bad to expect things to proceed in an orderly way. But it is bad if you wear your team out because nobody is designed or able to operate like they're under imminent danger or stress all the time. And so I had to learn that you're not always in a fight And then on the psychology side, I had to learn, as PTSD patients often do, I had to learn that I wasn't always about to get that alarm read. I wasn't always about to have to don my body armor and run to the bunker. Like when I was back in the States, it was confusing for a while because I didn't have that ability to sleep and rest. I would expect to get awakened by the jets and I would wake up even though there were no jets. And I would expect to get the phone call about the patient blowing, who'd been blown up, but there wasn't a phone call. It took me years and Lisa and, and counseling and writing and prayer and, and talking to Pastor John and others and my father-in-law Dennis to start to unpeel that idea that I was constantly in danger. That's a big thing. And you too, friend, if you've been through massive things, if you've been through the traumatic experiences, if you've been through a great loss, one thing that you might not even be aware of is that you're living your life in that place where you expect the other shoe to drop all the time. You're living in that place where you constantly feel as if you're in peril and you're not. And so how do we then change our minds? How do we destroy that internal limitation that's keeping us stuck on go all the time? Because let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 10.10, two things that are halves of the same sentence. He said, the thief, the enemy, came to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, he said, that you might have life and have it abundantly. You can't have an abundant life while it's being stolen, killed, and destroyed. You you can't have those at the same time. Jesus said, I've come that you can have abundance. Here's a scripture that I never caught 
I was reading, I'm reading a new book. It actually is not a new book. It came out last year. But it's new to me called Rest and War by a pastor in Washington, D.C. named Ben Stewart. And I haven't completed the book yet. I'm thinking I'm going to get him on the podcast at some point because it's a really good idea. And it's this concept of we are created for rest and we are created for war, but we are not created to stay in one of those states all the time. Now, understand what he means by this. There's a scripture in 1 John 3, 8 that says this, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the devil's work. Hear that clearly, friend. The reason Jesus came was to destroy the devil's work. That's 1 John 3, 8. So put yourself back in John 10, 10. The thief, Jesus said, comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. What's the devil's work? To steal your peace, to steal your joy, to kill your heart, to kill your efficacy, to kill your peace, to kill your marriage, to kill your family, to destroy your hope, to destroy your life to destroy your peace, to destroy your abundance. Jesus said, it is said of Jesus in John, 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. So here's the thing, friend. You are living in a fact, a life that is built on the fact that the battle for you has already been fought and has already been won. But you have forgotten that. And you're living in the stress and the threat of this constant fight that you've got to fight, even though the battle has already been won. My prayer for you today, friend, is to learn that you're not always in a fight. To remember that it is okay to rest sometimes. And to be aware that the reason it feels like you're always in a fight is because your brain does what it's beautifully designed to do. Synapses, Hebb's Law says, synapses that fire together, neurons that fire together, wire together through the creation of new synapses. So this neuroplasticity idea that we've been talking about for a long time now, this is literally self-brain surgery. Your brain makes neurons every night while you're sleeping, and those neurons want a job to do, and they will wire into old patterns of thought and old behaviors and old work unless you direct them with directed neuroplasticity, unless you give them a different job to do. And so if your life, friend, has been built on this constant struggle of constant fight and constant worry and constant fear and constant anxiety because of your massive thing, because of the experiences that you've been through, if your life feels like that to you, it's because you need to sever those six synapses. You need to do some self-brain surgery that starts with that biopsy of looking at your behavior and say, wait, why am I always tired? Why am I always stressed? Why do I always feel like I need a drink? Why do I always feel like I have to turn to this behavior to make me stop feeling that thing and why do I always seem to have my days play out like they do it's because you're firing synapses that you may not even be aware of and it's time to biopsy them sever those six synapses I'm making the scissor motion with my hand on the camera if you're not watching if you're just listening I'm scissoring away over here and you can't even see it sever those six synapses and give these new neurons a better job to do and the better job is this. Now, Jeremiah 6.16, there's a passage, what God said. He said, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. 
Ask where the good way is, friend. It's, start, it's time to start asking yourself, isn't there a better way to live than this? Isn't there a better way? I'm so tired of this steal, kill, and destroy part of my life. I'm so tired of feeling like I'm always in a fight, like I've got to jump up and get ready. I have a, a person that I love. I love this person so much. But this poor person lives in this constant fog of things that they have been offended by. And they, it's almost like sometimes I wonder if they don't have a little book that they carry of a list of everybody's name in their life. And I'm going to drink a cup of coffee here because this is a big point I'm about to make. Sometimes I wonder if they don't have a list of everybody in their life and all the different ways that they've been offended by these people and a set of strategies that they need to employ whenever they talk to that person. And this poor person is so wrapped up in being offended by stuff that if you were to call them, it's almost certain that the first thing they would say to you on the phone is something on the order of, well, my goodness, I would never have imagined that you would be calling me. If I guessed a million names when I heard my phone ring, I wouldn't have guessed that you would be calling because you never call me. Something like that would be the first words out of their mouth. So, friend, when I'm telling you that to tell you this. That's, that's a trauma response. That's somebody who's living in a state where they believe that they are constantly being victimized by other people and their behavior. Because you would probably, if you saw the name of someone on the phone that was calling you that you hadn't spoken to in a while, you would probably be filled with gratitude. And you would probably answer and say, I'm so glad to hear from you. How are you doing today? I've been thinking about calling you. I'm sorry I didn't call you first. Something like that. You have a choice between war of engaging those synapses that say, I need to carry this, perpetuate this battle that in my mind we need to have because we're in conflict and I've got this list of offenses. Or you can enter into rest and you can say, hey, I'm about to have a conversation with this person I love and I'm going to take this little bit of time that we have and be grateful for it. And that can set off a whole different set of neurotransmitters and create a whole bunch of new synaptic connections in your brain. And in that relationship with that other person that will be nurturing and healing. And you have a choice. You can either, if you're playing ping pong with somebody, right? You can either enjoy the game and the back and forth and the, and the volley and just enjoy it back and forth. Or you can have it be combat and your entire goal in that can be to score points and defeat your opponent. It can either be kind of a fun little back and forth volley and enjoying the, the back and forth. How are you? I'm fine. What's going on? I miss you. I love you. I wish I could see you. All those kinds of things. Or it can be, boom, I'm going to slam this on you so that you feel this pain that you've made me feel. And we're going to combat now. And you have a choice. So this rest and war idea is that we're made to, yes, sometimes we have to take up the fight. And sometimes we do have to go into trauma mode. And sometimes we do have to get up after it and go fast and, and whip the team and move quickly and make sure that we get through it before the next bomb goes off. But most of the time, we need to rest and we need to say, you know what, I'm not in a battle right now. I'm not in danger right now. I'm not in combat right now. This person is trying to engage with me in friendly activities and I need to allow them, I need to develop a synaptic connection here that can be helpful and healing for me. And that's the path, friend. This Jeremiah six sixteen idea, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it. Remember, do not forget what Jesus said 
about those of us who feel tired and burdened in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said this. Look in my eyes, friend, if you're looking at the camera. Look in my eyes and hear me say this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friend, you don't have to fight all the time. You don't have to. You can unwind that. Now, if you've been through major trauma and you are feeling symptoms of PTSS or PTSD and you can't sleep and you're using bad behaviors to treat bad feelings, if you're doing treating bad feelings with bad operations and and constantly paying tomorrow taxes, or if you feel like you can't get it under control and you're feeling desperate, maybe even suicidal, you need professional help, okay? There are times when we need professional help. There are even times when we need medication. There are times when you need to see a doctor or a therapist. But most of us, it's something we can learn to think differently about, and we can learn to switch from fight to rest, and spend more time when we're not actually needing to be in a fight to being in rest. I have a mode in the operating room that I call trauma mode. And after years of learning how to slow down a little bit, and I'm still a fast surgeon, I'm still efficient, we still proceed, we try not to make an operation out of everything, and you'll know what that means if you've read Hope is the First Dose. But but there's a mode that I call trauma mode. And when I first got to Great Plains, I would tell the team once in a while, look, y'all don't, y'all don't have a lot of big neurotrauma here. And y'all don't really know what it means when I say this is an emergency. I'm not one of those surgeons. There's some surgeons that make a big deal out of everything. And, oh, this is urgent. It's stat. I've got to have this test immediately. We've got to go fast. And it's usually not stat. It's not an emergency. To me, stat is the bomb went off, and there's a guy coming off the helicopter with somebody else's leg stuck in his chest. He's got a sucking chest wound, and he's got a penetrating head injury, and there's a D-cell battery in his frontal lobe, and his jugular vein's torn open, and his mandible shot off, and both of his femurs are fractured, and there's polytrauma, and he's bleeding out, and he's hypothermic. That's stat. That guy needs to go to the OR right now. But I'm sorry if your if your patient has a gallbladder attack and they're sore and they're and they're kind of sick and they need to go in the next four or five hours. That's not stat, okay? That's that's we need to get this done quickly. So I have a mode that I can switch into when it's really stat, and I tell my teams all the time. I told them when I first got to Great Plains, you will never hear Doctor Warren say this is an emergency or that something needs to be done stat, unless I mean by that that if you don't do it in the next five minutes, this person's going to die. That's what stat means to me, okay? And so once in a while, I'll tell my team, we're going to do this next case in trauma mode. You're going to see Dr. Warren, you're going to see Damon turn into somebody different in the next few minutes because we are going to push the gas pedal and we're going to get this thing done because you need your team to drill and train. Remember that Chris Voss quote, you don't rise to the occasion when the pressure's on, you fall to your preparation. And so we need to prep and prepare and practice that trauma mode from time to time to make sure we're ready when it's the 14th year old who's got an epidural hematoma and they're going to die in 30 minutes if we don't save them and so when we go into trauma mode in my or it's a different experience for the team very efficient i'm very collected i don't yell but things happen at a much more accelerated pace because it's time to go and you too friend have a time when you need to go we have two dogs. You can see them over my left shoulder in that picture of me that shows up in the back of my book. 
Harvey and Lewis couldn't be more different. They're brothers from the same litter. Lewis was the biggest one. Harvey was the runt. Lewis is a a gentleman and a scholar. He's a man of leisure. He likes to lie around and and talk and mouth and complain and gripe and and he just sits around a lot. And Harvey is a man of action. He is a fighter. He will go find raccoon and get into it. And Lewis will help him. If, if there's a battle to be fought and Harvey's in trouble, Lewis will wade into it. He's gotten himself hurt a few times. But he's much more likely to sit on the riverbank and say, I've got your back, brother. And he's he's there, but he's not engaged. But Harvey will fight to the death, and he'll come back in the house. And here's the interesting thing about Harvey. He's so brave. And he won't back down from a fight. But when he comes back inside, he's super anxious. You can see it in his little behavior, his, his little body. Like Lewis will come up in your lap and be a lap dog. But Lewis or Harvey will come in and he'll be freaked out and stressed out and breathing heavy. And he'll come over and put his body up against my leg and just kind of lean in. And, and he's saying, Dad, I'm still alert. I know there's a fight out there, but I need you to kind of love on me here. He'll come and kind of nuzzle beside me or he'll put his, the cutest thing that he does is he'll put his head up in your armpit and he'll just kind of sit there under the, it reminds me of that passage, the rest in the shadow of God's wing. Like he wants to, to be protected even though he's out there fighting the fight. He still knows that he needs to come in and be safe. So he's anxious and stressed out, and then for hours after an event like that, he can't relax. You'll watch him try to sleep. Lewis will be passed out on the dog bed. Harvey will have his head up and his ears perked up, and he's looking around. He's still looking for the fight. He doesn't know how to switch easily back into rest mode. And So those two dogs show us a good example of the fact that sometimes even long after the fight is over, you're still primed up like you're in the middle of a fight. And so that's the problem with our lives. When we've been through major things, massive things, massive troubles, we've been through these hard things, we sometimes forget that we need to learn how to shut off the fight. And we also sometimes forget that ultimately the fight has already been won. And the battle that we fought was years ago. And God says, now it's time to put your head up under my arm and let me hold on to you and remember that it's time to rest. And friend, if this is resonating with you, I just want you to remember today what First John 3, 8 said. The work that Jesus came here to do was to destroy the work of the devil. And he told us in John ten ten what that work is. The work of the devil primarily even if he can't have your soul, is to steal your abundance, to steal and kill and destroy the quality of your life. And the massive thing, friend, will take the quality right out of your life if you don't learn how to look away from it and close your eye and learn to rest again. It's time. It's time to learn. And remember, Isaiah forty three nineteen. Jesus or God said, see, I am doing a new thing. You don't have to be stuck in trauma and trauma mode anymore, friend. He is doing a new thing. He is giving you the way to switch that brain back towards rest. He has already done the work to defeat the enemy. He has already won the battle, and you don't have to fight all the time. There are times when you've got to get after it, but it doesn't have to be constant, friend. You can change your mind, and you can change your life. And the good news is... You can start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together. 
via self answer at drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.